the beauty of that story. Other people's perception of you ain't none of your business. I wonder if this is what normal people feel like. Well, like Eleanor Roosevelt said, well-behaved women rarely make history. And nothing says mental health um, cast live like, say, starting with, I drank a whole bottle of wine. Hey everybody, welcome back. Welcome back everyone for another week of Bipolar Girl. We're heard in over 76 countries worldwide. I have to put that tag in there. It's kind of like something that you get sick of listening to, but everyone likes to hear it if it's they're here listening for the I, first time. I think you like to hear it. No, I don't. It, it's just kind of the way it's done. That's what we do. At least, you know, listen, when I was at Duke Ellington School of the Arts, that's kind of the way Lou Barry always uh, talked about. Like, you want to make sure that, um, you know, when you're introducing um, the show and your lead, you want to make sure you let them know. You let them know. You let them know. You let them know. Let them know. We're creating. <laughs> we are creating stories uh, or telling stories over stigma and creating community. That's the whole point. And we don't get paid for this. We do it as a community service. Maybe one day someone would like. Maybe. Maybe pay us, but it won't be this show. It has to be a different type of show. Um, just yeah, just the nature of the biz. Uh, you know. So how was your week, honey? It was okay, I guess. I mean, I don't know. It was okay, I guess. I mean, I wasn't sleeping, so the doctor upped the trazodone, and the trazodone sent me manic, but we didn't quite realize that I was going manic until... You wanted to cut a tree down. No, because we didn't even know it then. That's true. Until, like, yesterday. That's true. Hindsight's twenty twenty. And I started the extra trazodone on Thursday. Yeah, it's not a good idea to put a, a lot of antidepressants in someone with uh, bipolar. No. Um, it sends them, it sends them uh, manic. And I don't know how much more. By the way, everyone, if, if, you're, if you're joining us live in the studio, we're recording live today because Rebecca pre-recorded an interview with our buddy, Megan Hall. We'll get into that in a second. And so we're recording our lead in today. And then the show will still release tomorrow at 8 a.m., just so everyone knows. But yeah, so I mean, this medication challenge just keeps getting even more like like interesting as we go along and it's like it's super hard like to figure out what it is but like i told you earlier today your body reacts quickly to medication but it takes a while to recover it's exhausting that's all i know i know and you know i'm so sorry you were in tears earlier today it's like it really sucks like he i mean what it really comes down to is it's not it's not hypermania, thank God. Um, I don't know more, if I can keep up with you. I'm too tired to keep up with your hypermania. It's more hypomania, <laughs> but it's a lot of panic attacks or almost panic attacks, mm -hmm. which if you've ever had a panic attack, they're exhausting. Right. 
Right. Yeah. You know, it's um, it is hard for me to see you go through it. It's like, and especially when like things like little things become like big things, big like, thing. and it scares me every time you react to it because I think something major is happening every time. It it, it gets me all the time. Yeah, and I didn't like the extra trazodone either because it made me forget everything. Yeah, trazodone is not good, and you were shaking too. The tremors, like, is just... I don't know if the tremors are trazodone. All the medication have a side effect of tremors. Yeah, so all of them together created a tremor. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, in some way, I'm not willing to go back and forth and try and pick out which one did it. You know, with the stars aligned, we'll buy an island in Lake Guatemala, and you can go there. You don't even need your medications. You buck ass wild. Excuse my Uh, language. I mean, because if you're on the other side of the island, you can be as you can be as off as you want to be. I want the island with the cow. Yeah, that's exactly. I will go be one with the cow. It's still for sale too. Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah. <laughs> and go be one with my cows. One with the cows. Yeah, I mean, I think the week has been good for me. I've been worried about you, but, like, we had some friends over last week, colleagues, we and we had a bonfire, and Rebecca made the best chili. chili, turkey chili. And you know what she used? She used so when we were living in New England, one thing we got hip to by this place called Idlewild, which is, like, in near Acton, I think Maynard, uh, Massachusetts, kind of Western Mass, they used to sell cranberry, they sell cranberry beans. Cranberry beans come from Italy. They are amazing. So I was able to find them on Amazon. And you had, can find anything on Amazon. Yeah, and had them shipped in. And, and had was, them shipped in. They dry. Yeah. And we used to sometimes use fresh beans fresh up on right massachusetts but these were dry yeah i mean well i mean the fresh beans in massachusetts are just amazing the whole environment like there's something about cooking in in new england that just like makes food taste better i don't know what it is and um well as we're heading to the vineyard absolutely like you know (laughs) when we when we make bread on the vineyard it tastes better when we make anything on the vineyard it actually it tastes better and this is the time to go because all the summer tourists tourists and you know visitors are gone so this is where you really hang out with like you know it's the merchants it's the you know the owners and everything um so it's a different kind of crew and uh so yeah it's you know it's it's amazing it's you know the food just tastes better but yeah so we'd get the cranberry beans we all kinds of beans from Idlewild and yeah we need to let everybody know though that there's not going to be a show Thanksgiving week I hope you didn't expect to show Thanksgiving week people because we're, <laughs> we're not going to be here to record. We're not going to be here at all. So yeah, we'll be we'll be in New England and um and and shoot, I'd love to actually go over to Idlewild because I used to have the best. Couldn't figure out. Okay, this is a tangent. Totally not. But you have to know what our lives are like. Kale, we love to juice. And I have to ask Rebecca, like, what the deal was? Why the kale is so much better in New England? Because it likes cold. Because it likes cold. It's amazing. And, like, food actually tastes tastes incredible. Yeah, so their so. kale can get bigger. Right. Because it, they get cold sooner. Right. Whereas we stay warm, and kale doesn't like the warm. Right. Yeah, so so look, I um so anyway, she made this chili for everyone and it was incredible. Um I made homemade cornbread from scratch and it was absolutely amazing. A buddy Paul um and his wife Rosinda uh, actually, I probably should have asked them if they wanted their name called out, but I won't give their last name. They they made uh, baked chicken and they made also Spanish rice, and that was an amazing combination with it that. It was really good. And then Tabby actually made oh god, I don't know why she made the the, the green beans. the green beans, which were really good. So yeah, the green beans were good. Yeah, everyone came over. We sat by our fire pit out front in our house and just like had a good time. So it was pretty neat. It was neato, neato. Nido. And um, and I think that, you know, 
last week was funny because I, I, I noticed that like you, you had a little bit of a, and it actually, it, it, it relates to the show. So she came, she went to go pick Sebastian up from his job and she came back. Everyone had gotten there. She there left. was only four people there when I left. Right. And then she came back and, and she, there was like 12, 12 people. And she literally had a panic attack. Yeah. Yeah. That's, we knew something was wrong then. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's slow and go, but you know we'll figure we'll get the right like combination and and uh, and and the right balance of everything. But like, I mean, seriously, like it it, it was it's it's been really tough. So, um, anyway, so with that said, I had to work uh, the night. Of the recording, Dr. Nicolescu was actually supposed had to be to work. On. He had to work. Uh, he was actually on call at the hospital. He's like, I'm so sorry. Let's reschedule. But some of them, like Dr. Alexander Nicolescu, of course, you just say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And you go ahead and reschedule. So we will reschedule. We'll get him. But anyway, in my place, our friend Megan Hall of the Inspired Women's Proc podcast, right? Yeah. Um, who's interviewed Rebecca several times, um, came on to do the interview. And she's been on our show several times. Yeah, she's been. Hold on. Let me, let me put on my. My, oh, yeah. my my setup music. Megan Hall has been on our our show several times. She used right. to help do the roundtables, right? Um, or symposium. I forget what she's we calling. Help to do the symposiums, and then she also what else does she do? But she's just been on. She's been all. She helped us do the yeah the youth symposium. She's just an all around advocate. She's a PhD student now, um, and she's of course an advocate. She has bipolar herself. And she's achieving at the highest level. So, wicked yeah. smart. Wicked smart. Um, <laughs> where we can just tell we're just ready for New England. So anyway, um, anyway, so go ahead. This interview is just just myself and Megan because Stephen wasn't around. Yeah, I wasn't around. So it's really it's really good to uh, see it. So the episode is going to be titled like. They're bi- already going to know what the title is by this time. Yeah, that's true. But we'll still give it Bipolar Girls Night Out um, as a uh, just a setup. But go ahead and enjoy and we will see you after the holiday everyone have a great holiday break there we go okay so yeah i mean i think what we were talking about about bipolar and kids is kind of interesting and just how our kids handle our bipolar yeah it can uh it can be a, a lot um my oldest saw I mean she's 19 now she saw a lot of things that I'm not super proud of uh but the littles are like 11 and they don't remember when they were really little and like mommy was not stable mommy and so it yeah it's it's interesting because my oldest like she has a completely different perspective of me as a parent than they do I think the same rings true with Sebastian I mean he was still rather young, but he remembers some of it. I mean, I wasn't quite stable until he was well into his like tens. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was before teenage years, but probably preteen until I got really stable. You know, I used to fly off the handle and anything. Yeah. And so his relationship with me is a lot different than George Arthur's. And you can even tell like George, Ar- and it's also just the personality. George Arthur is a lot more cuddly with me. Yeah. Sebastian's not as cuddly with me. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just a personality thing or if that's because I was a little crazy when he was younger and I yeah. couldn't 
stay in touch and I couldn't cuddle him as much as I would would have. I get like that now. My youngest Cameron, he is super touchy feely huggy. He wants to hug and be on me all the time. And there are, I've had to tell him like, buddy, you got to ask, like, there are times that I don't want you touching me. I don't want anybody touching me. Leave me alone. Yeah. I just, with George Arthur, it's like, He's, we've actually never had that moment where I was in that bad of a mood and he wanted to cuddle. Um, but there has been times where it's like, I really wish that you wouldn't do that, but it's one of those, just let him. Cause how That's often is he usually happens? Yeah. How often is he <laughs> going to be 10 and want to cuddle his mom on the couch, you know? Right. Yeah, that's how it ends up usually with camera where I just kind of get a little stiff and I'm like, okay, buddy, you can come. Yeah, you can. I do that too. I get a little, I get stiff and I'm just like, okay. (laughs) But he gets what he needs from it and that's all that matters. I agree completely. It's just, you know, they don't remember really depressed mommy where I had to drag myself out of bed and like barely got dressed to take that I would go sometimes to the bus stop in my robe yeah I didn't care I was so the kids were on the bus I put them on the bus and I went right back to bed that's basically what happened set alarm to get out of bed to pick that I it it was bad it was so bad sometimes see and that's what Camille remembers right Carmel yeah Carmel I always mess up her name it's everybody does every or I get caramel and I was like there's not an extra a in there uh yes that's what she remembers she also remembers drunk mommy not that I like had a addiction problem but I tried to self-medicate a lot with alcohol and what I mean is like the first time I was in college and she was just I was a teen mom and the first time um I was in college and she was just a little toddler like there were times like she would get up as like four or five years old, make herself toast and sit and watch television because I was just like sleeping. Passed out. Yeah. Passed out. Sometimes from alcohol and from, you know, drinking too much the night before. And sometimes because I was so depressed, I didn't want to get out of bed. Yeah. And so she remembers that. She also remembers very irritable and angry mommy. Um, but it it's hard because like she's seen me over the last couple of years since I got my diagnosis, like become a, such a different person and she's bipolar and she won't, she stopped taking meds. She stopped going to therapy when she turned 18. And it's just like, you saw me struggle for all those years and, and I'm a different person now. And you just decided like, no, I'm meh, meh. <laughs> I don't want to. And then, you know, when, when you're manic, you don't think you have to. Yeah. But then she'll crash and get into depression. And then she's like, you know, got ideation and everything like that. And she's like, I need help. And I, and we had a a recent discussion about this. We had to kick her out because she was just super abusive towards me. And we just recently, I recently had a discussion with her because she said, I think I need help. And I was like, you really do. You're going to destroy your life. That's what's going to happen. Like I almost did it myself. Like I, I'm surprised Jeremy's still with me. He should have divorced me. Like I, I was an awful human. Um, but I almost destroyed my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that to happen to her, but. Yeah. Sebastian remembers all that. Sebastian has been through, you know, the worst depression I can ever remember. And he was a child. And thankfully when I was right after I was diagnosed and we were trying to figure it out. We lived within my in-laws with my Mm -hmm. mother-in-law. And so 
all those times where I couldn't give him attention and affection because I was laid up in bed, depressed out of my mind, he would go upstairs to his grandmother's. Yeah. And they could play with him when he was little and they could entertain him because there was no way I was going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. No my, way. My mom took Carmel a lot when she was little, which is not how I don't talk to my mom because she like wishes I was never born. Literally told me that. But that's nice. um, yeah, she was like, I, I wish I'd never met your dad and I wish you had never been born because then my life wouldn't be ruined. And I'm like, ma'am, I'm 36. So if I'm still ruining your life at 36, it's not a me problem. It's a you problem. Like, Yeah, that seems yeah. more like a you problem. Yeah, but she helped me out a lot with Carmel and it didn't work in my favor because later on she would like throw it in my face. Like I yep. practically raised her and I'm just like, okay, I was mentally ill and was a teenager. Look, you didn't raise me? <laughs> right figure out I was sick so then you had to raise your granddaughter oh no she knew I was sick so when I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder listen to this I that's I was still talking to her and I called her up and I told her and she goes oh we know always knew something was wrong with you we just called it just being Megan yeah and I was like you saw me struggle I mean because I've had depression since I was like single digits like yeah you like, saw I, me oh. you saw me struggle all these years and you never like tried to get me help and I went through some traumatic stuff when I was a kid where like if my kids had gone through that like I would have totally like made them see a mental health professional and these people are just like no there's there's a certain level of anger that I have with my parents because both my brother and I are bipolar and it's like you know when you get the diagnosis you can look back and be like yeah okay that makes sense but I understand that my parents didn't know a lot about mental health, but they also saw that we were going through some stuff and they never once tried. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you could have tried and you didn't. And I had to go 22 years dealing with this, you know, Mm -hmm. until I got basically until Steven came along and he figured out there was something horribly wrong with me and was like, we got to fix this. Um, So I have a certain level of anger towards my parents for that. Mm hmm. Same. I, I didn't get my diagnosis because Jeremy um encouraged me to go. I got therapy for the first time because I was in the middle of an attempt and he like walked in and he was just like, you have to get help. You have to get help now. Like if you still feel this way and you don't want to be around in a year, which I knew, I mean, now I know he was lying, but in the moment you don't know he's lying. He's like, I won't stand in your way, but I need you to get help. And so he even like, he set me up with the therapist appointment. He did everything. So I didn't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. Like there was no barriers in the way of me getting therapy, but I still went, what was it? That was 2013. I still went six years without a diagnosis. Nobody saw it until, um, my, my therapist was finally like, you're spiraling. I need, I, I really would like it if you would go see someone and just take the edge off. Cause I was getting ready to move. Jeremy was living apart for me. I had all these things going. She's like, just take the edge off until you move and get everything settled. I go to this psychiatric nurse practitioner and she was the first person who probed, probed the things and actually questioned them deeper where most people like, they just heard what I said and just let it go. Right. She was actually like, tell me more about that. No, no. Like I, how long was that going on? what happened before that? Like really probing into it for like an hour. And then finally she's like, yeah, you have bipolar disorder. And I was like, no, we don't. 
She's like, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, <laughs> Go you do. home, look it up, try this medication, see if it works. She's like, if in a, like in a month, you don't agree with me, it hasn't helped you, then we'll revisit it. And I went home and I looked it up and I was like, oh man, that's me right there. Look at yeah. that. David and I talk about it all the time where we had, we were just fighting constantly and like we were newlyweds and like newlyweds aren't supposed to fight the way we were fighting. And there was nothing for us to fight over, but we were just fighting. And I already had one horrible relationship that ended because of fighting. And like, I didn't want this one and I had a baby now. And so it was like, fine, we'll go to couples therapy. So he found the therapist and he did all this stuff and sure enough, she figured it out because her son was bipolar. Yeah. And she just watched me and my mannerisms and like my behaviors and my moods. And she was like, girl, no, you're bipolar. She goes, I can't diagnose you. Right. But you're bipolar. (laughs) Yeah. No, exactly. I don't like my therapist right now. So I started seeing her before COVID like got like really wild, like before everything shut down. Um, I was seeing her like six months, I want to say, and we were doing EMDR, which was super helpful. I loved it so much. I like, we were do so many triggering events for me and then everything shut down and you, I guess there are ways you could do it virtually, but it doesn't work for me. I need that little, I need the little the light, light thing. Yeah. The buzzing. She had the ones that you buzzing things you put in your hand. That, yeah. I mean, cause they sometimes do it with like tap. Yeah, no, the, the tapping does not work for me. It does not. We tried it. Doesn't work. Um, I don't know why, but it doesn't. And so she still hasn't gone back to in person. And she, and I've come to realize she has not a lot of familiarity with bipolar disorder. Her and I literally mm. argued over whether I was having like bipolar episodes or not. She's like, everybody has the ups and downs. I was like, I saw oh no, that. these are bipolar ups and downs. No, no, no. You're probably just going through ups and downs, and you just think it. No, ma'am. I now know I've lived with this disorder for like 20 years, 20 plus years. Like I started, I I now know looking back, I started manic episodes when I was like 13. So I've lived with it over 20 years and you're going to tell me like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I definitely know what depression's like. I've lived with that for like 30 years. (laughs) Come on now. And or no, and then you know what? I see my psychiatrist. I tell him what's going on. He's like, "Yeah, you're rapid cycling." <laughs> it's like that's what I thought, but my therapist argued with me. But yeah, I, you need a new therapist, on I do, but I might, I might be moving. And that's so you know true. how long it takes. You know how long yeah. it takes to go through the background crap oh. and months, months of you talking about your background and everything that's gone on. And then it by like the makes... time I, I would like get through all that, I might be moving. <laughs> I know I, I've, I've joked with Steven before. Cause we moved a lot and like, I was always getting a new doctor and I was like, I need like a pamphlet of like, here's yeah. my trauma, a here's my history, <laughs> right? Something <laughs> that I can just be like, here, look at this and review it before our first appointment. Thank you. <laughs> here, here's my trauma PowerPoints. Yeah. Quick. She made me do a timeline. So we sat down session after session after session doing a timeline from the time I could remember being a little tiny person on forward. And I kept having to revisit because, you know, we have memory problems. And so uh, something I would forget something and then I popped back up and I had to add it to the timeline. 
my I have made this woman literally like gasp in our in our sessions and I was just like you say you have like schizophrenia patients and I can make you like gas yeah got she like her face she's horrified at some of the things I've told her that I've been through and I was just like well it's just life for me I've never horrified my therapist but I have taken away her speech before like I have said stuff and she has been like uh. <laughs> and I'm like yeah yeah you know that happened yeah and right before my health psych um class yesterday a bunch of us were talking and we were just like all like we're all like queer in some way like lesbian bisexual whatever right and we're like all the gays get together and we just became friends and then we're like no also all the mentally ill people who are gay got together and became friends yeah because we like we could talk about stuff that other people would hear and would their minds would explode and we just talk about it like it's normal because to us it's normal that and was you're just, just like Tuesday. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. that it's just Tuesday. Just Tuesday. Oh, your your mom used to scream at you and tell you she hated your guts too. Oh yeah, me too. Okay, cool. Okay, but, all right. You know, and other people are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um, I've learned that in mixed company, there's certain things I probably shouldn't talk about because I talk about it and I laugh and everybody else me looks too. at me real concerned. Yes. <laughs> it's like, That's why oh. I like having mentally ill friends. Okay. <laughs> My friend Amy, um, she she has bipolar disorder too. And we're constantly talking about our bipolar disorder. And I told her, I'm like, I think I'm rapid cycling. And she's like, no crap. <laughs> that sucks. Really? I could totally see it. And yeah. Like, yeah. You know, because when you're there, you and you know somebody well enough you're just like all right and I had a one of the girls that's a classmate who also has a mental illness and she was just like so where are you at we're starting to become friends where are you at you seem kind of down I'm like oh no this is normal Megan (laughs) I was just you know you just got manic Megan first that's all yeah I was like no (laughs) this is this is normal Megan I'm not depressed I'm just baseline like okay yeah uh, you know, and I should have, I really should have seen the signs of this one coming on. Cause like it's an hour's drive to DC. Now, one of my mm-hmm. friends is in the hospital and I love her dearly, but like, she was just, she was just like, can you, can you bring me something? I said, anything, what do you want? And like, I literally dropped everything, said goodbye to my children and drove like three hours that day. Oh my God. And didn't even think twice about it. And it's like, and Steven's like, well, you're a good person. And, but now looking at him, like, yeah, I'm a little manic. Like, yeah, it was the, the suddenness, the suddenness. It was the suddenness of it. Cause she called me and I literally dropped everything and ran. It was like, that's a little weird. Yeah. No, that when you said it, I was like, the suddenness gives it away that you yeah. just like immediately, instead of like making a plan. And just be like, this is what I'm going to do is just dropping everything. That's like, yeah, it's not like, okay, well I'll come on Tuesday because I don't have anything to do on Tuesday. (laughs) Like, no, I was just like, I'm there. (laughs) 
And she even thought I was a little crazy too, because I came and I gave her what she had asked for. And she was like, so you were at work because work is downtown. And so was she. And I was like, no, nah, I was at home. She's like, you <laughs> drove all the way from your house. I was like, yeah, you said you needed me. It's those very impulsive decisions. Yeah. Give it away. Yeah. And then like <laughs> I told you about the tree. I had um we were having a party and we needed firewood. And there is this tree in my backyard that is it's gonna fall and it's gonna fall on my house. And um I'm scared that like the wind is gonna blow it down. Mm-hmm. And I keep asking for help to take down this tree because I don't want to pay somebody a thousand dollars to take down a tree. Yeah, it's very expensive. Yeah. And so Stephen keeps telling me he's going to help me. My neighbors keep telling me that they're going to help me, but nobody ends up helping me. And so I got the chainsaw from our neighbor and I told Sebastian, I said, I'm cutting down the tree. And he was like, no, you're not. And I was like, I'm absolutely cutting down the tree. And I was getting ready to cut down the tree, but he called Stephen and snitched on me. Ah. Uh... And all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up with Steven. And I was like, he snitched. You're like, I was going to take care of this myself. I like, I was going to do this. And I was all amped up, getting ready to do it. Like, yeah, I should have seen it coming. No, but that I mean, always happens. Like, it just always takes me, like, blindsides me. Yeah. The last time I, which was, like, only a couple weeks ago, is uh I my thoughts started like ping ping pinging all over my head and I couldn't concentrate and then I was talking a lot faster than normal and I'm usually a fast talker so like yeah and it's like woo holy I you gotta slow down and then I felt like I had 10 cups of coffee and I was just all over the place I, it was just it was wild mm-hmm. uh and when, you know, when, uh, my friend Amy that I mentioned, uh, we have class together when she saw me in person, she was just like, if I didn't already know from your text messages, this is it right here. Like, yeah. it's, it's pretty obvious. Like this is what's going on. Cause I was just like all over, like I had to give a presentation. I had to give a training that day, like the next day and the training was, I, I just, I was honest with them. It was for my social psych lab. And I was like, listen, I'm hypomanic right now. You may not know what that means, but it's man, it's mania, just diet mania. Um, and I, I love that. Talk- oh my god, diet diet mania. mania. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said I might talk too fast, and I may skip over things. All you need to do is tell me to slow down, ask me to repeat, or like go back. I will do it. I just want to be really honest with you. This is what's going on. And they were like super chill about it. They're like, okay. And then every once in a while, you know, my advisor was like, can you just back it up a little bit? And I was like, sure. Yeah, Yeah, I can do that. Can you slow down and and explain this to us? Yep, totally can do that. Like, so after she was like, because I'm like, I'm so sorry if I screwed that up too much. And she was like, no, 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 you did great. She's like, just sometimes you were just a little too fast and we needed you to slow down a little bit. And I was like, all right, then, you know, it's legit. <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's, it's great that that was a safe space for you to do that, but it's better if you do that. Right. Yeah. Cause if not, like they're not telling you to slow down and they're not telling you to back up and they just think it's shitty training. Yeah. Yeah. I was, so this is what, bo- this bothers me. 
So I was talking to the chair of our psychology department. She was going over my CV for people who don't know what a CV is. It's like the academic resume. Yeah. Um, but this is something it's, it's, it's the, the resume that never ends where a regular resume, it's like two pages, right? This CVs can be like 50 pages long. Like mm-hmm. this is like an insane thing. So we're going over my CV and I was talking to her about like my personal interest statement and stuff. Cause I'm applying to, for people listening, I'm applying to PhD programs. I must, uh, in social psychology, I like to uh, study prejudice, bias, stigma, stereotypes, all those things. But anyways, um, and I was telling her, I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, talk about some of the things I've been through because I feel like that gives me a perspective in this area because I've dealt with prejudice. Right. And she's like, no, you're not. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're not going to tell me you have bipolar disorder. I was like, why not? I'm like, they all, they all study this stuff. And she was like, yeah, they do. But people still have biases. Yeah. And like, what if they had a bad interaction with a student with bipolar disorder? Do you think that they're going to like, not be a little biased against you over that? And I was like, I was like, but that would, that would help me. Like, I felt like it adds to my unique perspective, but she's totally right. Like, I mean, she is. And she isn't because us keeping it a secret leads to the stigma. Oh, no, she said when I get there and I've been accepted, absolutely tell them. Oh, that okay. Time, at that point in time, they, they're not going to kick you out. Like, yeah. you know, they can't legally, they cannot kick me out because I have bipolar disorder. She just said, don't explicitly mention it until I'm in a program. And she's Got like, you can tell them whatever you want. Um, and I was like, well, the thing is, is like my podcast is on my CV. And if they listen to it, they, they're probably going to know. Cause I talk about it all the time. She's like, that's fine. She's like, cause they took, take, took that extra step. They're already interested in you. Like you didn't from the get go, like, I was like, okay, okay. Cool. You didn't title it bipolar Megan. <laughs> right. And, and she was just like, and plus like after, if they've already taken the like step to listen to your podcast. Like not only are they already interested in you, but they're going to get to know you like mm-hmm. via the podcast. And she was like, and you're pretty cool. And I was like, sweet. All right. <laughs> I love that. I love that. She was like super impressed about the podcast. She was like going through my CV and she was just like, well, obviously all that stuff will be removed once I'm like in academia but like we had to add stuff that like is relevant in a way to show like I do have other things I've done right yeah Yeah, I'm not just sitting around no and so she was like going through and she's like oh my god oh my god this is amazing she's like can I get you to come back here I mean they don't have a PhD program she's like but I would I would accept you as a student all over again well, hopefully it works in my favor. Yeah. You know, I have a hard time listing the podcast on stuff like that. I, I have a hard time thinking that people actually listen to my podcast. Because like, they do. I know, but in my mind, I know. And Stephen tells me about them all the time, but in my mind, it's like, we're just talking to a couple people. I feel the same way too. Okay. <laughs> I do. And I've been doing it for like six years. Like the podcast turned six years old last month. Oh, and so exciting. I, yeah. So it's like, I'm going into my seven, my, my seasons are year long seasons. So like yeah. I'm going into my seventh season next year. 
And I do that too, like where I, I don't think it's a big deal. And part of that is because people at times have treated it like it's not a big deal. They're like, oh, that's cute. You have a podcast. I'm like, oh, it's cute. I've been doing it for six years. Like, yeah, <laughs> I know something. Oh, my, uh, or I'll get this. Oh, my brother just started a podcast and I was like, cool. He's been doing it for how long? Two months. I was like, that's nice. We'll see how he's going in like a year. Because people don't know, like 50% of podcasters quit in the first year. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then by, what is it? I think it was like by year two or three, like 75% have. Like for somebody to make it as long as like six years, it's very small percentage of people do. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So a lot, of pod- yeah, a lot of podcasters are like, oh, I'll try podcasting. And then like a year later, they're like, nah, it's too much work. Bye. <laughs> Well, let's see. We are on, we're on year four. We're on year four. And and you're going to try to be like, well, I'm the same way, but you're going to try to be like, it's not that serious. It is not serious. We've been doing it for four years. It's not that serious. It's not that big. (laughs) Like maybe two people listen is what I always tell Steven. And he's like, okay, (laughs) well, in Alaska, there were five people who downloaded and in, in New Jersey, there was 16 and like, he knows it by state. Yeah. No, I can see that in the back end too. Or like, I, I, she's like, say how, how many, how are you listened to in other countries? I'm like, yeah. She's like, say how many? And I was like, oh, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of countries, people. Now, some of them are only like maybe like a hundred or 200 downloads. And I mean, which are still significant. That's significant. Not like, yeah. But like not thousands. Where, yeah. You know, you get to like the top five countries that have listened to my podcast. And we're talking about thousands of downloads from each. I mean, United States being number one. Yeah. But United States and Canada are the top two. And they're both like, we're talking about tens of thousands of downloads. You know, it's, I'm like, well, I guess that is not something to scoff at. Yeah. I mean, for some reason, we're really big in the UK. Really big in the UK. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. I don't know why, but we're really big in the UK. It's like, okay. In the beginning, I was big in Australia because I had a co-host in the very, very beginning for like the first six months and she's Australian. So, oh yeah. So you got a lot from her. Yeah, I I did. Um, But that kind of tapered off after she was no longer co-host. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't sharing it with her Australian friends. I still have a lot of Australian people who listen to the podcast. So yeah, I'm very good at doing that though. I'm, I'm always like, I downplay what I do. I think it's just part of it. I think it's just part of who I am. Unless I'm manic. And then I'm I'm manic. And then I'm like, you have no idea who I am. Do you know who you're talking to? (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same way. Like, do you know how um, how many conferences and workshops I have, you know, talked at? Don't speak like, to me. <laughs> yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> but I mean, the the egos that these people who apply for the podcast have, like my podcast, I I, for, I just got like a huge influx of guest pitches. It's like overwhelming, and this happens like every so opt- often, maybe like once or twice a year. Um, and my ex boss, who's a digital marketer was like, it's cause somewhere they released this list of podcasters, you know, you mm-hmm. know, like to a group or to like at a conference or whatever, and you're on it. 
And so that's why you're getting this influx is these people are like just going down the list because they like oh, interesting. This, yeah, they do this like spray and pray thing. Like I learned Ugh. about that when I was a beach body coach back in the day. It's like where you just send like these mass like messages because you know you're gonna get somebody to say yes. Yeah. But like the problem with that is you're not gonna get a yes that's like necessarily tailored to you. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I had somebody who was very anti-LGBTQ apply for the pod or be pitched to me as a guest. And I'm just like, um, I don't I'm think that'll a work. Sexual woman. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure I don't want you to come. Yeah. I don't that. think that'll fit. Yeah. They didn't come right out and say she was anti-LGBTQ, but the organization she was affiliated with, I'm like, mm, there it is. Yeah, like, there it is. <laughs> You can't be denying here because they're like very blatant, like so blatantly LG- anti-LGBTQ that the um, ACLU actually has like court cases against them. So oh like, God, yeah, it was just pretty, but like I've gotten super influx and some of the egos on these people, I'm like, do you think I really care that you've been featured in all these places? I could care less. And then I'm like, are they manic? Because I would talk like that. <laughs> I would talk like that if I was manic. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not. It's just PR. PR people drive me absolutely crazy. They're just. You know, we haven't. I haven't dealt with but one PR person. And she was very sweet. Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, yeah. I've had a couple. A couple. But mostly is like their tactics are so gross. It's like. No, I can tell that you just mass emailed this because you BCC'd me on it. Oh. Or I can tell you a mass emailed this because there's an unsubscribe button. Like I was an entrepreneur. I know how these mailing service, these email like thing platforms you use, how they work. And mm-hmm. I can see all the tells. And I was like, this is gross. You don't even, aren't even familiar. Like, why yeah, you don't I even want- know what my podcast is. Right. Or... I got had a dude pitch to me the other day. Oh, it's an, a woman's yeah. podcast, but okay. I was, I can get pretty snarky with my responses. I nice, but snarky at the same time. And I was just like, per my website. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Did you read? <laughs> I featured, I, I, I feature stories from cis and trans women and non-binary individuals comfortable in a space that highlights women and I'm just like, oh, but anyways, I got on that because like, sometimes these egos, I'm like, are like, I would talk like that if I was manic, but I know that they're probably not. These are their PR people like pushing it typically. Um, But I'm like, I would totally be like that. Like, look at all the things I have done. I'm an amazing human being. Like I'm hot. Like why would my husband want another woman? It's just me. And then I get depressed and I'm like, oh my God, it's going to leave me for another woman. <laughs> I, you know, part of that is just, you have to, I mean, you have to have a certain level of cockiness to like put yourself out there like that, right. To brand yourself and to get yourself out there. Yeah. I mean, true. But sometimes these people like go a little like- far. Yeah, it's kind of gross. And I was like, and I'm talking about like five paragraphs of this crap. And I was like, Ugh. do you think I have time to read five paragraphs about how wonderful you are? I know. I don't like, care. Do you ever just send them? Because I know you have, I know you have the um, application. Do you ever just send them the application? Yeah. Like, I'll, I'm not I'll, reading that. Just here, fill this out. Oh yeah. I have a templated, e- I have a bunch of templated emails. I'll just send out when I get like really annoyed. 
<laughs> just like templated response. Yes, we'll use this one. And it's just like, yes, I am accepting guests. Here's my application. 99% of people never follow through when I give them the application link. So wow. I'm like, well, that says so much about you. I'm yeah. You're so great. You didn't want to but fill out the form. I'll just do solo episodes. I don't care. People want my solo. Ep- I don't mean that in an egotistical way. Like, no, but we've, we've like, seen that too. Like, yeah. On the weeks where we just don't have anybody or somebody had to cancel or something and Steven and I just get on and we're just talking and shooting the crap with each other. Like those are some of our highest rated yeah. and viewed, listened to podcasts. When I had my audience members literally under one of my posts say, I love your solo episodes. Why don't we get more of those? Why not? If you don't have a guest or, you know, they cancel or something and you don't have like something in the queue, just do you? And I was just like, oh, you guys actually want to hear about my life? Like, okay, cool. I got lots of things to tell you about. You got lots of things to tell you about. <laughs> but I think it's because, you know, I listen to podcasts. You kind of like form a relationship with the person, even though you don't know them. You know what I mean? You like, do, especially if it's our kinds of podcasts where like, we're just talking. Yeah. Like there's not like, we're not storytelling. We're not, you know, true criming. We're just, we're just talking about life. Yeah. We're not having certain questions. We have everybody answer every time, like yeah. you know, scripted content. I hate those. I won't listen to them because they're so inauthentic. <laughs> People always ask when they come on the podcast, they're like, oh my God, do you have a list questions? of questions? Yeah. I was like, no, like too. you're going to sit down in my living room on my couch and we're going to talk. Like, I don't have, if there are certain things that you want to cover, definitely bring them up, but I don't have, I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. I don't have a list or anything for you. It's like guest led, you know, it's like you talk about what you want and I'll ask you questions along the way that I'm like, oh, this would be something good to ask. That's basically what we do. And people seem to like it. So. I mean, I love those far more like the conversational style far more than like the really scripted or like the really stiff ones or Mm -hmm. they always got to talk about the same thing all the time. And I'm like, how many times can you hear the same topic like in the same way before you're like, "Mm." because I mean, that's one thing about your podcast. Yes, it has to do with bipolar disorder, but you're featuring all sorts of different kinds of stories and experiences and everything. And so that's more interesting than every time somebody came on, you're like, when were you diagnosed? What were your symptoms? Yeah. Like just have this, like, we got to cover just these things every time. Well, and I think, you know, we, we do ask the, when were you diagnosed? Like we want their backstory, but I more so want their 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 story now right because it's it's what we can do as being as someone with bipolar yeah and like we can survive it and we can be successful with it and you know you don't have to sit in your house and cry and feel sorry for yourself because it is possible I mean I've graduated some top schools you're going into a PhD program like fingers crossed you will (laughs) and it's just like we can do things right and I think a lot of people see severe mental illness like bipolar is debilitating and you can't do anything right and sometimes sometimes obviously sometimes there is but I think the majority of people have stories outside of I was diagnosed 
Oh, I agree. Absolutely. And I, so I was a little self-doubting. I mean, I go through these phases, right? I was, I was, I was a lot self-doubting. I was like, I'm not applying to any of these PhD programs because, you know, I'm just not going to be able to make it. And I'm going to spend 600 plus dollars on application fees for nothing. Mm. And then I was listening to the APA Speaking of Psychology podcast, and they had one of the top mental illness stigma researchers on there. And he has bipolar disorder. This is somebody, I didn't know this. He's been cited in every one of my articles, my, my, my publication. Well, they're not published yet, but one is like submitted for publication. But anyways, all of these, he is cited over and over and over again. Cause he is like the guru of mental illness, stigma research. Yeah. Like he is on everything. And I'm listening to this podcast episode with him. And I had no idea he had bipolar disorder. And he is like super transparent. And he goes, you know, there's been times I've had to be hospitalized when yeah. I could, cause she was like, well, how does it work with you being a professor and like a researcher and having bipolar disorder? And he was like, there's been times I've had to call out of work cause I was hospitalized. And I was just like, shit, I have, I have hope. I have yeah. hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then, like, you know, not... and he even said he thinks that you need to have people with mental illnesses, especially se- severe mental illnesses in this field, because we have a perspective that somebody without this sort of like stigmatized identity don't do not have. Well, exactly. If we're going to talk about if we're going to talk about mental illness, then you need to be talking to the people who have mental illness. You know, it's just like, if we were going to study football, we would want to talk to the coaches and the players. Like Mm -hmm. it's almost creating a void or a vacuum when you don't include us in the conversation. Absolutely. I was talking to uh, my advisor slash mentor thesis, all the things about this. And I was like, how do you feel about white people doing like research on racism? And she's like, I actually don't mind it because like it's getting done. She's like, the problem I have is only like 4%. I think she said only 4% of publications on racism are by people of color. And she's like, that's where I have a problem. She's like, I feel like white researchers should be bringing people of color onto these publications with them, like collaborating on this research. It's almost like their job. Yeah. It's like, it's okay. She was saying like, it's okay if white people do research on racism you need that you need all perspectives right um she's like but that should also be including perspectives of people of color and that's often what we don't see and she said because you know what publications are typically run by white people and white people have racial biases and she was telling me about different examples about um publications she knew of people she's worked with on research that were denied because they talk too much about racism in a paper about racism. <laughs> you can talk about it a little bit. Okay. Just little, but like just a little racism. Don't make us look bad. Right. <laughs> don't make the white people hate themselves. Don't make us look bad. Like we don't want to feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous, but I agreed with her. Like, yes, people without a mental illness absolutely can do stigma research, but you yeah. should have perspectives of people who have a mental illness in this research, like, because we know we've yeah. experienced it. We've like experienced after- it. And right now that my thesis is on 
whether there's a difference in rate uh, rates of stigma between depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and or schizophrenia. And not only that, but contact has been found to be the most effective form to reduce it. Is, is there a difference in rates of reductions among them for the same contact? So like it would be the same script, just changed for the different symptoms, if that makes sense. So like it would be a, a, a video for each of them with the same mm -hmm. person. This isn't actually somebody who has these disorders because you want to keep all the variables the same. Mm -hmm. um, and it would be their script that they're reading. Um, the only thing that's changed in the story is the symptoms. So the story itself hasn't changed. Like the person, like they worked, they did this, this is what happened. And they ended up in an outpatient program. All the same, except the symptoms are changed. But anyways, I hypothesize, I, I already know by the prior research, very there's very little of it, that there is difference in rates of stigma amongst just different disorders. Mm -hmm. So I already know that, that there's a small bit of research, not a lot, that actually looks at that. However, there is no research looking at the rates of stigma reduction difference. And I hypothesize that depression and anxiety are more likely to be um, the rates of reduction in stigma are going to drop more than mm -hmm. bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Definitely before schizophrenia. Yeah, no, but I'm trying like, you know, depression, and anxiety are often seen as less severe, even though we, those of us who have a mental illness, no symptoms can vary, right? Very like, much. Very much. Um, and bipolar disorder and schizophrenia are often seen as more severe disorders. So that's why I think, because people who aren't familiar with it, they're not going to know those nuances. They're not going to see it, right? Yeah. Like they don't understand. <clears throat> so what do you think about, did anything change around the stigma about depression and anxiety and mental disorder through the pandemic? Because I remember in the middle of the pandemic when we all couldn't go outside and they were talking mm -hmm. about, like everybody was talking about, you might feel depressed and you might yeah. have some anxiety and these are the things that you can do. Like, do you think that did anything to help the bias around those order disorders? They show there's been a shift. Now, whether there was a shift specifically related to COVID, I don't know, possibly. I mean, there's been a lot of push for people to get mental health care because of the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. And then telehealth has been, is now being covered by pretty much every insurance where be before my insurance did not cover telehealth. No, that was not a thing. And now they're offering it themselves. They have their own line of mental health professionals that you could sign up to see. And I'm like, I already got one multiple. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But I mean, their research shows there has been a shift for depression, and anxiety, but not as much for like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Yeah. I was just thinking because how you said that content contact with it made it different. And throughout the pandemic and even afterwards, we've had a lot of contact with, yeah. this is what depression is. This is what anxiety is. But it's more like contact with people who have it. So see, that's interesting too, because one of the best ways to get rid of racism is to put people in the room with brown people. Yeah, that's where the contact hypothesis came from. Like yeah, originally it didn't have any. They weren't using it for mental illness, but they found it happened. It works for for most, if not all, types of prejudice. Like yeah. the contact hypothesis. Yeah, because once now, you know a person with it, then you that's your yeah. friend. Unless you tokenize them. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah. This, there's this, certain groups of people that this, this my does crazy not friend. work as well. Yeah. <laughs> there's certain groups of people, which I'm not going to say who, because I don't want to tick anybody off, but there are certain groups of people that research has shown these things are not as effective at yeah. perspectives. Actually, their perspectives are pretty freaking concrete and it is really difficult to shift them. Yeah. And so that's kind of scary to know, like, we don't have like the big guns to shift the perspectives that honestly we really need to shift. Yes. Um, we don't have it yet. 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 Um, but however, research has shown there has been a huge shift in LGBTQ, well, LGB, not the T, LGB um, stigma. Like it has drastically gone down um, in the last decade plus, drastically more than any other stigmatized identity. And why I say LGB is because the T, like transgender people, they're, 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 they're experiencing their whole other crap that's going on like what what about the q what about the queer 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 yeah yeah q is part of that so anybody okay okay. who's gay right like in 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 whatever like in some way it's just the transgender you got to remove that because transgender individuals deal with their own stigma and that's highly stigmatized right now yeah but when it comes to being gay the prejudice towards gay people has drastically shifted more than anything else, more than race, mental illness, anything like that. It is just like, it's amazing. I, like I said, I listen to these podcasts and I do the research and the research is there to show this humongous shift. We're like, how, how did this happen? Yeah. That's going to be my follow-up is why. Because the theory is it's because it's more socially acceptable to be gay, right? You can be out now. So more people are out. So go back to the contact hypothesis. More people are out. Now, you know, more gay people. Yeah. it's not like these people weren't gay before, but they didn't feel safe coming out as gay. Mm-hmm. So you didn't know as many gay people because they didn't feel safe coming out. But now it's like acceptable, every except in some circles again. But like socially, it's acceptable to be gay. Like I came out as bisexual like a year ago, even though yeah. I've, I've I've known I've been bisexual for like yeah. several decades. Okay, but stigma and you know, I grew up in like a very white area of Northern New York, um, which is pretty much all of Northern New York. But anyway, it's a very white, white, cisgendered, heterosexual area. And my parents would make very stigmatizing remarks about the few gay people they knew. Um, and because my mom played on a lesbian softball team, but they would call them all sorts of kind of names that I'm not going to repeat. And it was very stigmatizing. Then why was she on the lesbian softball team? She would claim she didn't, she loved gay people, she claimed, but then they had that implicit bias and you can see it come out when they were talking about these people and how they talked about it. So I never felt comfortable coming out until like a year ago. And my spouse who knew I had been with women was like, no, duh. Like, yeah, I knew knew that. I, I come out to my sister and she was like, I knew that. Like I've known that since like you were 16. Like yeah. what are you trying to play here? I've known I'm like no, I love you. Yes, I knew. I love those stories of like where people were scared to come out and then they came out and everybody just looked at them and was like, Oh honey, we knew. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty much it. It's like we knew. Like, we knew. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know more people because uh, people are comfortable coming out now. 
Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's a contact hypothesis on crack. Like if you think like little white upstate northern New York where I'm from, they don't get to meet a lot of black people. And yeah. most of them never move out of white upstate New York. Um, and so they don't come in contact with a bunch of black people. And so they get to hold on to their racism. They'll yeah. tell you they're not racist. I've had them argue with me on social media how they're not racist. I'm like, did you not read your own post? Like, yeah. Do you not see this? It is you right there. You don't see these warning signs right here? Like, literally, it's explicitly stated in here. Like, I didn't use the N-word. That's not what I'm talking about. That's right? not racism. <laughs> right? At that like, point, using the N-word is just tacky. Like, it doesn't yeah. offend anybody anymore. It just makes you look stupid. That's yeah, not racism. It just lets us all know what you're thinking. Thank you. Thank I you. It. Now I know to stay away from you. Yeah. But like, they'll tell you they're not racist, but they absolutely are racist up there. And that's because they never, I mean, part of it is they never caught, like rarely, I shouldn't say never, rarely come in contact with people of color. Like, yeah. People, we have a reservation up where, near where I, I grow up and the things people say about the, you know, Native Americans that live on the reservation, it's just like, are you kidding me? Like they've been there this whole time and y'all are still holding on to these like beliefs. But anyways, yes, stigma has shifted because you know, our brains, we start here and we do like a whole couple of laps and then we come back to where mm-hmm. we were. <laughs> stigma uh, has shifted in some ways, but not others. And I do think people talking about it more openly makes a difference because now people know. I know, I know, you know, somebody with depression, I know somebody with anxiety instead of like casually thinking, I probably do know somebody. Yeah. They can actually point out and name the person. Right. They say anywhere between one in four and one in five people live with a mental illness, like in one, like in a year. Um, So everybody knows many people who have a mental illness. Statistically, it's impossible for you not to know many people that do, but nobody Mm -hmm. talks about it. But now people are talking about it more. So now, but more talking about depression and anxiety and, and things anxiety. like that yeah. than uh, bipolar disorder. And I had come out as having depression um, like a decade ago. Um, and then when I got my bipolar diagnosis, people were very accepting. People were like, yeah, you know, me too, or my friend too. When I came out that I got a bipolar diagnosis, so different yeah people physically and they didn't even know it physically like backed up away from me when I said it like they they didn't even realize they backed up and put space between me and them but they did and I noticed Mm -hmm. it's wild yeah see and that again goes back to what I just I hope that only two people listen to this because knowing (laughs) that no knowing how many people listen to this that tells me how many people know that I am bipolar. So then when I meet them physically, like, are how do they feel about me now? Because before, yeah, before I could just ignore it because I could just keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. But like now it's like, well, no, everybody knows. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm okay with everybody knowing yet, but everybody knows. And then you deal with like microaggressions because people do know, right? Yeah. I had somebody go tell me to make, take my meds. Like, yeah. And I was just like, great, because you see, I'm arguing with you on Facebook. I can argue with you no matter what is going on inside my head. Yeah. Like, you're just a douche. Yeah. This, this is me on my meds. I'm 
yeah. will gladly show you me off my meds. And these people should know better because these are people who have known me for years. Like, do you all not remember? <laughs> do you remember? Because <laughs> she had no issue telling you where to go and how to get there. Yeah, no. I no. would love, my favorite thing to say was to tell people to go F themselves. Yeah. On the regular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. my boss to go F themselves. <laughs> I was very much that I would cut you off. Like you're dead mm-hmm. to me. You mm-hmm. do not exist anymore. And like physically I would do it too. Like they'd come up and talk to me and be like, Hey, I'd be like, I don't know you. Who are you? <laughs> like I was really bitchy about it. Yeah. I was not a nice person. No, like, not by any means. I was like, how do you all not remember that version of me? I'm being really polite right now. and not telling you exactly what I think. So maybe need to not tell me to go off or like go take my meds because I'm on them right now yeah this is me on them sweetheart yeah it's just it's it's wild it really is wild how people react when they find out and you know I used to be nervous too like oh my gosh I have hundreds upon hundreds of people who listen I mean I'm not like super big where I have thousands of listeners but I have hundreds of hundreds of listeners every week right and it varies every week you know that like some weeks it's really good some weeks it's not so good yeah but like hundreds of people listen every week and they know I have bipolar disorder because they listen to me talk and I talk about it all the time yeah so then I'm like that's a little frightening but also hopefully we're shifting perspectives we're shifting perspectives yeah because it's almost it's really funny because when you're on a podcast like you're not seeing people it's not like you it's not a video cast it's not like tv so it seems very private still Mm -hmm. until you realize how many people have listened to you talk and then you're like oh it's not as private as i thought and i hate the sound of my own voice oh steven makes me listen to every episode i hate it i'm like do i have to and he's like this is how you get better (laughs) No, Stephen, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't want to listen to myself on the on the radio. I know I say um and like a lot, or I love that. I love that. I know is the worst one because I do it all the time. But those are natural things people do anyways. So yeah. it's like, you know, if it was every other word, then I'd just be like, okay, I get it. But like, yeah. it's not. It's not that big of a deal. I don't edit it out. People use... Uh, I listen to podcasts and they won't say a single um and I'm like that's not natural you took them all out you took them all out because natural people say um yeah they're filler words you do it like it's just yeah it's just the English language that's what we do and there's other words in other languages that stand for um yeah there are other filler words in other languages yeah I just don't know them so I don't use them (laughs) I only know the word um (laughs) I only know um and plethora um <laughs> that plethora is actually one of my favorite words plethora plethora <laughs> it's a fun word it is oh and then I found out there is one that means the opposite of plethora and it's dearth that's my favorite dearth dearth yeah yep. I'm gonna do that I'm gonna use that now dearth. It's d I think it's d-e-a-r-t-h dearth dearth I, I don't have to know how to spell it to speak it yep I'll figure I, it out if I ever have to write it down. <laughs> I came across it in an article and I thought it meant like plethora, right? Like just another yeah. word for, and I was like, dirt, because to, to me, dirt sounds like a lot. 
But then I looked it up and I was like, oh, it was the opposite of plethora. I like uh, that. I like that. <laughs> I'll start using that one too. <laughs> I get very excited when they don't make me cut out plethora from my, my articles. Oh, do they make you cut it out a lot? No, I was really worried they would. Cause it, you know, you're, you're trying to talk. You don't know who's going to read your articles. Right. And they recommend now you try not to talk in a way that everybody can understand. Like you need to talk in a way that everybody understands like mm-hmm. that. A student can pick up your paper and read it and understand what you're saying, at least to a point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to be like over explaining, but like there should be enough that somebody that's not familiar can pick it up, read it and understand what you're talking about. So like, I was worried like bigger, fancier words, like plethora would get cut, but no, it has not. And so it's like in every single one of my papers, cause it's my favorite word only like once or twice. I don't want to overuse it, you know, but I like the joke that, you know, before your PhD, you said, I don't know. And after your PhD, you say that is beyond the scope of my knowledge at this moment. <laughs> like, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Basically, uh, we were just talking about this, my advisor and I, because I'm going to be presenting in front of her class. And she was just like, you know, they're going to ask a lot of questions. You need to know your stuff. She's like, but if you come across something you don't know, she's like, it's okay to say you don't know. And now you look it up and you'll figure it out. That was one of the, my favorite teachers are the ones who did that, right? My favorite teachers were always the ones who, if I asked a question and they didn't know the answer, they always told me, I don't know, I will find it for you. And yep. then like a couple classes later, they're like, here it is. Yep. It's like something about just admitting that you're lacking of that knowledge. You know, that's not a bad thing. We can't know everything. You can't it's know everything. Possible. You can't even retain all the information you learn. So if like well, it's some obscure thing that you learned like several years ago. like, mm-hmm. And that I think is also why they say the best way to learn something is to teach it. Mm-hmm. Because you'll realize how much you don't know when you try yeah. and teach it to somebody. So yeah, she's like, I'm also there to answer questions if you don't know them. And I was like, okay, that's good. Cause that's you know, good. Back up. Yeah. This, uh, but I am, te- I, I am pre- presenting on stereotyped pre- prejudice and discrimination, which is my jam. So yeah. I should probably be pretty good. You should you know? be good at it. You yeah. got it. That's like, fun. I got to choose what I want to present on. I was like, I'm going to present on that. And she's like, you want to choose something you're not as familiar with? I'm like, no, "No, because I know I'm going to do really well because I know this. And the first time out, you should do something that you really know. So it builds your confidence. So when you come up on the second time, you can do something you don't know so well. Yeah. I was like, I, when I was a speaker, I didn't speak on things I didn't know. I spoke on things I knew quite well so that, you know. Mental illness, intimate partner violence, like things I knew. Yeah. Things I have lived through, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I also taught on like and spoke on self-care and, you know, communication skills and things like that. But like I presented on a couple different uh, conferences that talked about mental illness and intimate partner violence. And those are things I know quite intimately. Yeah. I mean, I did have to learn more about beyond my experience right yes 
Cause like I could sit here and tell you all day long about my experience of bipolar disorder, but it's not the same as your experience. If I don't no. know what the other symptoms are, I'm going to just be tunnel vision and not be able to like express that. Like there is a spectrum and like everybody's symptoms are different, but these are the, these are the, these are the main the, ones. These are the main ones. When you look at the DSM five, which I have, uh, <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> I do because you know I've studied mental illness so much, um, but these are the things. This is the criteria you must meet in order to have this disorder. This is what they're going to look at. But then, like you have these nuances, like you have these people who are just like, I could never do that. I can never go through that in the bipolar group I'm in, and I'm just like, we all have different severities. We all have different symptoms. You, yeah, you you can't say I would never do that. Cause you don't know. You don't know. You were never put in that specific situation with those specific emotions. You don't know how you would react there. Right. It's like this. I mean, I've seen it before. People get very, even the bipolar group get very judgmental about suicide. And it's yeah, just they like, do. They do. Well, I'm glad that you've never been there, but let me tell you what, as somebody who has been there, when you're there, it's you're scary. not thinking, yeah, you're not thinking straight. You're not no. thinking like, oh, I, I could never do this to my family because it's not about them. And no. it's not even about you. You're just like, no. I should not be here. The world would be better off without me. It's about I'm, making the pain go away. Yeah. It's just like this, this, I'm too much. Like this is too much. And the world just would go on without me. Yeah. Right. Like for me, it was like, my spouse would find a new wife and my kids would have a new mother and their lives would be so much better without me. Like mm -hmm. the world is not going to miss me. If anything, it's going to be better without me. And that's what you think. And, and people don't, can't even fathom being in that place because they never have. And these are people with bipolar disorder. They get depression too, but they've never had depression that severe, that severe. And I'm just like, thank, thank your lucky stars. Like hope yeah. you never get there, but don't sit there and past judgment on somebody who has been there so going back to the fact that you have the dsm5 book do yeah. you ever look in to the bias of that book because yeah, yeah. like it's all based off of like how males present yes so the dsm5 started working on that did they okay and they because i know the previous dms right dsms were awful no, they specifically talk about that in the DSM-5. And apparently there's a new revised version, so it's even better than the DSM-5. But in the DSM-5, they do talk about that. It's one of the specific, there's like a whole chapter in it about the downfalls of the previous versions. And one of the things they talk about is how women can present differently than men on certain things. And if you go to the specific disorder, they will have like a section that talks about like, sex differences like mm -hmm. and how people present differently so they have been addressing it i'm sure they have okay. a lot i'm sure they have a long way to go with mm. that um because we all know research anybody well i shouldn't say we all know if people don't know research in any aspect is predominantly done on men yeah white pharmacy yeah pharmaceutical research is predominantly done on white men like any kind of medical research is prominently done on white men unless it has to do with speculums and now they're not going to give you any sort of pain meds yeah that like, one's you're fine 
that that yeah that one's terrifying the the how the speculum was created and who there it was created on and yeah. it's just like oh my god like, yeah and you know <laughs> see except- i find it i find it interesting with the dsm five at least because when i was looking for my adhd diagnosis ADHD diagnosis is always based on men still. And so it's very hard for women. It's the same thing with autism. It's very hard for a female to get an autism diagnosis even early in life because we present differently. Yeah. I hopefully the new revised version, which literally just came out like earlier this year. Okay. So, so new that it would cost you $200 to purchase. Oh yeah. That's shiny new. Yes. Shiny new. Um, there are no used versions of that one. <laughs> Hopefully that one addresses a lot of, a lot more of the weaknesses because the DSM five came out like 2013, 15, something like that. Yeah. It was, it's been a little while since it came out. So they obviously had to do a new revised version because people will speak up and they will say like, listen, this is not working out. Yeah. I just, I know that a lot of women go along or have gone a long time in the past without the correct diagnosis because it was always from a male perspective. Yeah. No, no, no. You know, that's valid. It's, yeah. it's the same thing about, you know, one of my biggest issues you went through it too, is bipolar is usually seen as depression first. Mm-hmm. And that's, our reaction to the depression medication is what makes them think that we're bipolar. But like, why do we have to go through these little like rabbit testing thing? Like, why can't they just look and be like, oh, you're bipolar? Well, one is a lot of people go to their PCM, which I made that mistake first too. So I was 20 and I was having some severe depression. Let's, I mean, talk about suicidal ideation. I was all up in that. And I went to my PCM not knowing any better, right? Like I didn't know any better at 20. I didn't know anybody who had like a mental, I knew people, but I didn't know I knew people who had yeah. a mental illness, right? And those I knew probably were untreated. Um, but I went to her. She's like, oh, it sounds like you have depression. Let me put you on antidepressant. You know how long she took to like to decide I had depression? Like t- less than 10 minutes. Yeah. Asked they don't even questions. take that far. No. Did not ask me my history, did not ask me other questions. Less than 10 minutes. Here, let me give you an antidepressant. That did not go well. I reacted very poorly. I didn't get better. I got worse. Mm-hmm. Worse. It was so bad. It was so bad. And then I went back to see her and I was like, listen, I got worse. And she was like, that's not possible. And I was like, but I did. But I'm here telling you. Yeah. And she's like, well, that's just not possible. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm not taking this anymore. And she's like, fine. And that was it. I stopped taking it. I, the only person who told me in my twenties, which by the way, if they had diagnosed me in my twenties, definitely type one. Like my, it was not hypomania. This is a full blown mania. I was getting arrested. I had like, you know, it was some crazy stuff up in there. Uh, I got a DWI. Uh, I actually got reduced to DWAI because I blew like right at the limit and they like reduced it. DWAI in New York is driving while ability impaired. You can get it if you're sleepy at the wheel. Um, But anyways, so I, they make you meet with a mental health professional to 
see if you have an addiction problem, right? And they'll ask you all these questions. And so I'm answering her questions and she looks at me at the end of it. She's like, I don't think you have an addiction problem. I was like, okay, cool. I'm glad, glad we both, we both. She's like, I think you have something more going on. I, I don't know what that is. She's like, because we didn't cover that, but it, I think you have something more going on. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, I, th- I would recommend you go see a mental health professional. I was like, oh, cool. I was like, um, so are you taking patients? And she's like, oh, what kind of, I am, what kind of insurance do you have? And I had Medicaid at the time. And she's like, oh, there's like a six month wait for anybody to see somebody with Medicaid. She's like, not a lot of people take it. She's like, I do, but I have like a six month wait. I can only take so many Medicaid patients because they mm-hmm. don't pay very well. Um, and I was like, well, screw that. <laughs> when I when I got the depression diagnosis for me um I was in the military and they put me on they put me on Zoloft and then I ended up in the hospital because I was I was hypermanic and um the lovely doctors in the army told me not to take the medication anymore and if I didn't think about it it wouldn't be a problem and Stephen about hit the roof. <laughs> they like, like to also just give you Tylenol and Motrin. Yes, right. Like go drink pain, water. So. My my foot hurts. Go drink water. You'll feel better. <laughs> like I wasn't expecting much, but like that really pushed me over the limit. Was this like you really? Because I was physically shaking and like my eyes were dilated and like moving rapidly, like all the major physical signs. And they're like, oh, just don't, don't think about it. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, that, and, and, you know, well, we don't know, like, you don't know, you shouldn't go to the army doctor or your PCM to get, no, you don't know. like, and a lot of people, that is the only place they can go. Right. Like if you have a six month wait period for me to use Medicaid for like a mental health professional, guess what I'm not doing. Yeah. Like, you know, so like, that's why people go like, there's, there's such a shortage to access and like affordability when it comes to mental health in this country is really disgusting. I mean, affordability, if you talk about the medications alone, the amount that we have to pay for these medications, I don't know how people without health insurance do it. I know they do it. I don't know how. I don't know. My son's ADHD medication for 60 days would cost me $600 if I didn't have insurance six hundred dollars oh i'm on one that's like two grand i was at one point in time i was on braylar that's which, the one yeah i'm glad you're doing well with it i did not <laughs> um, well i thought i didn't need it and came off of it and started rapid cycling and they were like you are going back on that pill so what happened is i moved to connecticut and i I had a mental health crisis. Like I was bad. It was really bad. I, of course, I'm like already searching for a, a mental health professional because I don't want my meds to run out. And I need this. She's dead now. Um, but anyways, <laughs> I need this mental. I get referred, not referred officially, but told like, hey, you should go see this mental health professional. She's right above our office. Go check her out. I was like, okay. So I meet with her. I tell her what's going on. I'm like, I'm on Lamotrigine. I was only like on a hundred milligrams at the time. Okay. We all know that. No, that's nothing. And then, you know what, instead of increasing Lamotrigine to see how I would do with that, she added Raylar. 
I come to know now she had to have had an in with the farm, like the farm reps, because she had like free packs while she fought with my insurance to get them to cover this. She was giving me free packs out of her office. Mind you, this lady had told me she accepted my insurance, but she didn't tell me she's out of network. Then she slammed me after, mind you, she made me go into a really bad place with Raylar and I had to fight with her to, so I didn't take it anymore. I, she slapped me with like a thousand dollar bill. Yeah. Um, and then she died. <laughs> so I was like, well, I don't have to pay that. But Karma is an interesting thing, isn't karma's it? Karma is interesting. <laughs> Apparently I'm not the only one. So my therapist, I met through her. And my therapist like explained to me, I actually have a lot of clients who used to use her and she did the same thing to them. She wouldn't, she wouldn't tell people that she was out of network. She was just like, yeah, I accept your insurance. And then wait six months. Yep. That's exactly what she does and slaps you with a humongous bill. And so she was like, you're not the only one that had that happen to them. And I was like, that's disgusting. Cause we all have a mental illness. So are you trying to shove us over the edge? Like yeah. what's going on? And she's like the Vraylar too was, she's like, I have other clients who like, that was her go-to for everything, all the things. Yeah. So but, she had to deal with somebody. Yeah. So I'm glad you're doing well with it. I mean, Vraylar yeah, is very expensive. They put me on the Vraylar after my psycho, my psychotic episode last year or gotcha. earlier this year. Yeah. They put me on it and then I stabled out and I was like, I'm, I got into this mode where it's like, I'm on too much meds. I need to take less meds. And like, I only take 1.5 milligrams of it. And so I was telling my doctor, I was like, I don't need it. He's like such a low dose. Why mess with it? I was like, exactly. It's a low dose. It's not doing anything. (laughs) And then a week later I'm rapid cycling and he's like, okay, that one was on me. That's my fault. I'm sorry. But what did we just say about when you're feeling really good? You don't yeah. think you need, don't think you need all this. I don't need this. I'm better now. It's funny because you think that that won't happen. Like after having bipolar and treating it for 30 plus years, like you don't think that you would ever go through that again. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you need your medication, you know, that it works for you, but there are still times where you feel really good and you're like, I bet you I don't need all these pills, maybe some of the pills, but not all of them. Yeah. No, yeah, I see it all the time in the bipolar group I'm in where people are like, yeah, I've been on meds for a really long time, but I've been doing really good for a really long time. So I'm just going to go off of them and everybody, yep. like, no, don't yeah. do that. <laughs> I feel better. <laughs> I think I'm in remission and I'm good to go. I am oh. the reason you are is in remission. Meds. Yeah. I hate that when people are like, I'm in remission. I'm like, no, no, honey, you're just doing well because of medication. (laughs) It's not like the illness has left your body. It's like, like the people may get offended by this. I hope they don't. and, And hope they understand where I'm coming from. It's like an addict. They're never not an addict. They're just in recovery. Right. Yeah. So when we're doing really well with bipolar disorder, we're just in recovery. Yeah. You know what? Guess if we stop doing the things that we're doing, we're not in recovery anymore. Yeah. I, I like the word recovery rather than remission because remission yeah. makes it seem like it goes away and it doesn't, right. it never goes away. Mm-hmm. Like, it's you like are, no, you're in recovery right now. Yeah. You're in recovery. I like that. That sounds better. Yeah. 
So, I mean, that's, that's what it made me think of is like addiction is like my grandfather is an al- alcoholic and he's like, I'll always be an alcoholic. I've been sober for like 40 years and I'm still an alcoholic. Cause guess what? If I have a sip, it's over. Yeah. So for us, if we stop taking our meds, it's over. It's over. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me tonight and yes, putting absolutely. on a show since we had Dr. Nicolescu had to go on call. So at least we got a show and thank you so much, Megan. Yes. Thank you. I'll figure it out. Oh, here's the beauty of 